Hi, I'm Brent Stafford and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. One of the most hotly contested issues with regard to vaping is whether or not e-cigarettes are an effective tool in the battle to stamp out smoking. The very mention of this possibility sends regulators, tobacco enforcement agents and anti-vaping advocates into a tither. In most regions, the vaping industry is prohibited by law from making direct health claims or to even suggest that vaping is a viable tool for smoking cessation. Yet 40 million vapors worldwide attest to their efficacy, and each year, more research is published demonstrating what so many already know, that vaping is a highly effective tool to quit smoking. Joining us today on RegWatch is Dr. Jamie Hartman-Boyce from the Cochrane Tobacco Review Group. She is the lead researcher on the Cochrane Review of Electronic Cigarettes for Smoking Sensation, Cessation, which released this month and further supports the growing evidence that vaping is an effective tool to quit smoking. Dr. Hartman-Boyce, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. For years, researchers have come on our show to praise Cochrane as being the gold standard for research. First off, tell our viewers a bit about your background and why Cochrane is so well regarded. Well, that's great to hear. So I am a senior research fellow at the Nuffield Department of Primary Care Health Sciences at the University of Oxford. And there I work with the Cochrane Tobacco Addiction Group. Cochrane is a global nonprofit that exists essentially to get the best evidence we have out there to help people making healthcare decisions. And it does that by conducting and by setting the best available guidelines and methods for conducting systematic reviews. And what we mean by that and what I do in my kind of day job is I go out and I start with a specific question about a healthcare intervention. I do searches and me and my team identify all the evidence in an area that could be used to answer that question. And then we really evaluate it to figure out what it says and also if we can trust it. So we have very rigorous processes that we go through with each piece of evidence to say, where might bias be creeping in here? What is this evidence actually telling us? And we try to bring that all together so that policymakers, clinicians, and of course, people who smoke patients can make decisions based on the best available evidence. So is it uh, fair to say that it's a study of studies? Exactly. And explain that a little bit more, because that's also called meta-analysis, correct? Yeah, yeah. So it's essentially what we do when we do a systematic review is we study all of the studies that have set out to answer a specific question. So we'll go out and we'll search the literature, we'll search all of these different databases to try and find studies, and by that I mean primary research, and in the case of e-cigarettes for smoking cessation, that might be trials, for example, that test the devices in that context. And what we'll then do is we'll bring all that evidence together and we'll look at, first of all, within those individual studies, can we trust them? Is there any place where bias might have crept in? We'll look at their results and then, if appropriate, we statistically combine them in something called a meta-analysis to try and get an overall picture of what the evidence so far is showing us. Now, why is that important to do that across studies? Is it because there's weaknesses in any one particular study? Um, not, not a study, but the, just the singular study issue. Absolutely. So it's really important with any area, particularly when it comes to healthcare decisions, to look at evidence across a number of studies instead of just at one study. Now, there are lots of reasons why this is. Part of it is, of course, that there can be issues with individual studies, but also the fact of the matter is that resource means that very rarely are people doing studies of 10,000 people at a time. Usually studies are quite small, there are human beings and there's an element of chance that's creeping in always. So even if studies are conducted beautifully, typically no one study is really big or strong enough to tell us for sure what we need to know about a healthcare intervention. And by bringing them together, 
it allows us to hopefully establish with more certainty what's happening, but also if different studies are showing different things, it allows us to explore why that might be. For example, some interventions might work better than others or in certain population groups better than others. And by bringing them all together, we can really identify what's going on. So in the UK, is it fair to say that uh, the use of e-cigarettes is actually a healthcare intervention? Because I'm not too certain if that's looked at the same way here in North America. That's an excellent question. So I'd say our Cochrane reviews are global. And so when we're saying we're looking at e-cigarettes as a healthcare intervention, we're really trying to say that on a global perspective. But I think the important point here is what population we are looking at. So we're not saying are e-cigarettes a healthcare intervention for non-smokers? That would not be a question we would be asking and we would never encourage use in that population. But we're saying in people who smoke, are e-cigarettes possibly helping them to quit smoking? So that is uh, the $64,000 question. Do e-cigarettes help people quit smoking? Yeah, and absolutely. What the evidence we found so far suggests that they can indeed help people stop smoking. With every Cochrane review, what we do is we assess the certainty in the evidence. So not only are we bringing it together, but we're saying how certain are we in this body of evidence as a whole. And when it came to our most recent review of e-cigarettes for smoking cessation, we found moderate certainty evidence that e-cigarettes can lead to higher quit rates at six months or longer than nicotine replacement therapy or than e-cigarettes without nicotine. Um, but what that moderate certainty means is that there's still some scope for that to change as further studies emerge. And the reason why we say moderate certainty was actually not that there was any problems with the studies that were contributing data, but just that we want to see more studies. We need more studies, we need bigger studies, and ideally we need them of kind of the most recent e-cigarette devices. There were some key findings in terms of the likelihood that uh, an increase actually in the number of smokers who are effectively able to quit using vaping products. Walk us through those findings. Absolutely. So what we found when we were comparing electronic cigarettes with nicotine to electronic cigarettes without nicotine was that when we combined the results across studies, more people had successfully quit at six months or longer using nicotine containing e-cigarettes than using nicotine replacement therapy. Now, putting this into kind of numbers in the population, if let's say we're assuming that every six in 100 people quit who are using nicotine replacement therapy, if we apply our findings, then that might tell us that 10 people in 100 would quit using electronic cigarettes. So again, quit rates are pretty low, and that's reflecting the reality of how difficult it is to quit smoking. But that is a meaningful increase that we're seeing there from six to 10 in 100. And if you roll that out over a population, obviously, it increases by magnitudes. The six was uh, NRT, and then it's 10 yeah. for vaping, right? Yeah, that's so right. So that's a significant increase in, in the likelihood of quitting. Absolutely, and, and what we're talking about is not whether or not someone is gonna quit smoking across their entire lifetime. We're talking about in that one quit attempt, which is done in this case as part of a study, or done, let's say, as a New Year's resolution in the general population. Those are the types of rates you might be looking at, but that's very illustrative and it will vary very much um, by population. So we've got uh, the concern over youth use and the teen, so-called teen vaping epidemic, and then you've got the so-called vaping-related lung illness uh, that was attached to nicotine vapes, which was erroneous. Um, and so a lot of hysteria uh, was built up. Always missed in all of this is the smoker trying to quit. It, I mean, the, the, are they just thrown under the bus? I mean, your review here seems to go at the heart of something 
that is so often uh, overlooked? That's what we think. I mean, in terms of my work with the Cochrane Tobacco Addiction Group, we have a portfolio of over 70 reviews, but the majority of them are specifically looking at people who smoke and ways to help them quit smoking. For people who smoke, the single best thing they can do for their health is quit smoking. And even at the age of 70, if you've been smoking for decades, quitting smoking can still bring really meaningful health benefits. So it's a really important area. It's an area we need more research in, and it's an area we need better interventions in. And it's an area our group is committed to keeping on looking at, essentially. I think it's almost now, I worry, become accepted that people smoke and it's hard to quit smoking and therefore it's maybe not as interesting of a thing to be talking about or be, to be doing media coverage of. But we should never forget how many people are avoidably dying from smoking every year. So Jamie, let's have a quick look here. This is the 2020 study um, out from Cochrane. We looked for randomized control trials in which the treatments people received were decided at random. When you're finding these studies that are using e-cigarettes, what's the criteria in which that you refuse to use the study? Yeah, great question. So there are a few different criteria on which we wouldn't include the study. If it was a study that wasn't in people who smoke, we wouldn't include it. So this review is very much focused on people who smoke. So at the start of the study, these are people who are smoking cigarettes. Um, we also wouldn't include the study if it didn't include an e-cigarette intervention. And that's a really key point. What that usually means in these studies is that these people have provided an electronic cigarette for the purpose of using it to quit smoking. So we're not looking at observational data here where you might just survey a thousand people in a country and say, which one of you use e-cigarettes, who doesn't use e-cigarettes and compare them. No, what we're interested in here is the effect of an actual intervention being given to people. Um, and in terms of study designs, what we wanted were either, as you'd noted, randomized controlled trials. So one where they get a group of people and then they randomize, let's say half of them to one intervention and half of them to another. But because this is a field where we don't have that many randomized controlled trials yet and where there are so many concerns, based on a lot of uncertainty in particular around safety and other effects. We also looked at studies in which everyone who entered the study, so you'd have a cohort of people who smoke, were given some sort of electronic cigarette intervention and then were followed up and we we're interested in those too. What we didn't look at here, as well as not looking at the observational studies, we didn't look at studies which looked at electronic cigarette use for less than a week. So people had to be using an electronic cigarette or instructed to use an electronic cigarette at least for a week or longer to look at effects. So when we take a look at the key messages, and I really do like, and this is the one thing about Cochrane that I found when I've been going up there, is that you've got some simple plain messaging after, you know, and tell us a bit about that before I read what that simple messaging is. Yeah, absolutely. So Cochrane reviews are extremely comprehensive, which is one of their strengths, but can also make them a little bit difficult to read through in one sitting, especially if you need to make decisions quickly. So an integral part of Cochrane reviews is now what's called a plain language summary, where we follow a very set format uh, and put the results across in a way that is hopefully easier to read and less full of jargon. And actually for this review, a dedicated plain language summary writer, so an author, who specializes in writing scientific information in a way that's a bit more easily digestible, came up with this plain language summary for us as the best way to, to put across the results from our review without people having to read literally hundreds of pages of quite dense text. I keep saying 2020 review because people need to understand that you had a similar review in the same, the same review out in 2016, 
we had covered that, and I think we had Linda Bald on um, at the time talking about it. And so this is the 2020. So let me just read these key messages. Nicotine e-cigarettes probably do help people to stop smoking for at least six months. They probably work better than nicotine replacement therapy and nicotine-free e-cigarettes. They may work better than no support or behavioral support alone, and they may not be associated with serious unwanted effects. So, and then of course the obligatory, we need to do more research. It, this is as probable. Uh, I know that a lot of our viewers would hope for something more concrete than probable. Yeah, so as you mentioned earlier, Cochrane has a very, very rigorous standards for how we consider evidence. And what you're actually seeing with that probable language is a reflection of the moderate certainty. So we found moderate certainty, we'd want more data, devices in order to get us up to that high certainty point, at which point that might be translated into a plain language summary with firmer language. But at the moment, that probably language actually comes from uh, kind of across the board Cochrane guidance about how we communicate evidence of moderate certainty. Now, could this probable language be strong enough for a regulator to take steps that would be in favor of harm reduction use, using vaping products? I don't think that's for me to say. Um, so Cochrane reviews are really there to reflect the evidence and for the decision makers to make the decisions based on that. What I would say is that when regulators are making decisions, what we'd certainly hope is that they take into account all different sources of evidence and information and things that they're weighing up. So our Cochrane review is very much interventional studies uh, tested in, in quite a scientific and I would very much hope, of course, that they'd be looking at the Cochrane Review, but also that they'd be looking at some real world data in terms of what's happening in their specific countries, what policies they've enacted to date and how those may or may not be panning out. With regard to the 2016 review uh, that you put out, would you say that the evidence is now more stronger in support of vaping as a tool for harm reduction as to quit smoking or, or is it the same? Absolutely stronger. Um, and that's actually one of those places where that certainty rating comes in handy. So in the 2016 review, for all of our outcomes, we had low to very low certainty evidence, whereas now in 2020, we have moderate certainty evidence for some of our comparisons. And for example, uh, in the 2016 review, we only had one study that compared electronic cigarettes with nicotine to nicotine replacement therapy. Uh, very few people quit in either arm, so it meant there was a huge amount of uncertainty as to whether or not there was any effect. And all of a sudden, here we are in 2020 with better trials that we can put into that analysis, and they're bringing us up to moderate certainty evidence. And one thing to say um, is that actually because this field moves so quickly and is so important to regulators and to people who smoke and to clinicians, from now on, for the next two years, we're going to be running our searches monthly and updating our review much more regularly to make sure we're capturing information as it emerges and not waiting, you know, a few years, four years to update our reviews because we know that a few more trials in this area could really change our conclusions and give us a lot more data and a lot more information. So Dr. Armin Boyce, our viewers have a keen eye uh, for research. They read a lot of it, they see a lot of it, and they certainly know that a lot of it seems skewed against vaping. Like you just, it's hard to imagine that, you know, this synopsis, this abstract, the press release that eventually comes out from the university, I mean, it's just clearly, you know, going after vaping, at least that's the impression. So you're, you're looking at all this research. Do you see that level of bias, that colloquial bias that we as observers see? 
So I think yes and no, I suppose, would be my answer. A lot of the trials in this review, I think it is fair to say the trialists don't necessarily come to the area with that interest. I think you probably don't do randomized controlled trials testing electronic cigarettes for smoking cessation if you think they are absolutely not going to work and are a harmful device. So I don't think that's necessarily where some of the evidence we include comes from. I think when you look wider, um, we do of course see that in, in studies in other areas, not that many which met the inclusion criteria for this review. Uh, and one of the things that I suppose I find quite challenging when I'm, I'm viewing research results and the way they're presented around vaping is when vaping is presented as an alternative to nothing, which of course for non-smokers it might be, but for this review, we're not talking about just choosing to vape after having not engaged in any other behaviors. We're talking about switching from smoking to vaping. And I think when we think about harms, it is really important to contextualize the harms we're thinking about. So expert consensus broadly holds and is supported by our review that vaping, though not risk-free, is considerably less harmful than smoking. And I think sometimes when we see media coverage of this, sometimes the way this issue is discussed, it seems to be really focused on the vaping is not risk-free part, which is of course a really important message to get across. But for people who smoke, we absolutely know smoking is not risk-free. Smoking is is pretty uniquely deadly, really, when we compare it to other legal things that people can access. And that, that's where harm reduction comes in. And, and sometimes I wish there was a little bit more acknowledgement of that nuance. And that when we're thinking about e-cigarettes, A, not all devices are the same, but B, not all users are the same. So they might be of a public health benefit in one group and a public health harm in another group. And both of those things can simultaneously be true. Jamie, you see a lot of this uh, consternation going on with regards to vaping. Why does it seem to be regulators, you know, anti-vaping advocates, people in public health are so adamant against vaping? And why is it that the claim that vaping could help you quit smoking is so contested? I think that's an excellent question. And I think if I knew the exact answer to that, uh, I would be very happy indeed. I'm sure there are different reasons for different groups that come from all sorts of different backgrounds. I think there, of course, is a deep-seated mistrust in the tobacco industry and the fact that the tobacco industry has a role in many of the kind of most popular electronic cigarette products. I think we would be wrong to think that that wasn't playing a role in some of the reticence. And, and personally, you know, I work in tobacco control. I absolutely am very, very sympathetic with those concerns. Um, and it would make my job a lot easier if the tobacco industry weren't, weren't making electronic cigarettes and then we might be able to talk about them in a different way. But that's, that's not the situation we're living in. I think, too, there's, there's perhaps a false tension. I think it's a little bit false. Um, between a narrative around protecting children and protecting non-smoking youth uh, versus helping people who smoke. Um, and I think that can really get quite heated. I think that protect children narrative is an incredibly strong one and an incredibly important one in a public health toolkit and also just as a society, of course. But what I suppose I worry about is that by pitching them as somehow opposed we're missing the fact that actually cigarette smoke is harming 
children all the time as well. And so harm reduction for adults who smoke might also mean harm reduction for the children around them. And I think that's another thing it's really important to bear in mind. And I suppose some of my frustrations with the debate around electronic cigarettes uh, is again this this failure sometimes to identify the nuance. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, the fact that different groups will be affected by this intervention in different ways. And I would hope that regulators and policymakers could view that and think that through and therefore make meaningful regulations and policies that were making the most of electronic cigarettes from the groups who would benefit from them and doing their utmost to make sure the groups to whom electronic cigarettes might represent a net harm aren't going to suffer as a result. You had co-authored a piece in conversation that actually dealt with that with regards to uh, the kids because there is a harm reduction aspect here because kids who, uh, parents who smoke, those kids are what, three times more likely to become smokers themselves? And then of course you've got the harm that's being done to the parents, which again, harms children. Absolutely, not to mention also secondhand smoke or environmental tobacco smoke, which we know is, is a threat to children's health. Um, and I think, this varies country by country, but to some extent, uh, the people who smoke typically tend to be from less advantaged backgrounds, possibly less present around the policymaking table sometimes. And I, you know, I, I sometimes wonder, and I don't know, if the people who are making policies are close to and love people who smoke, right? Because I think to some extent, in my life, there are people I know who smoke cigarettes, have smoked cigarettes for a very long time. I found it incredibly difficult to quit. Uh, and for them, I think electronic cigarettes really do represent a net benefit. But I think I always try and think of those people when I think about the evidence I'm looking at. Um, and if, if your area is instead focusing on trying to make sure the tobacco industry isn't having undue influence on children, then of course your focus is going to be elsewhere and that is justified. But again, my frustration, as I, I've spoken up about before, is just I think we should be thinking about the whole spectrum of the population who can benefit and who can harm from electronic cigarettes. Let me read uh, a line from your piece. Nicotine is not the chemical that causes the many diseases linked to smoking. In fact, nicotine replacement therapy, which provides nicotine without the harmful chemicals from cigarettes, has been available to help people safely stop smoking for decades. And then you say the tension between protecting the kids and helping adults who smoke has been getting in the way of clear public health messaging for years. As new evidence emerges, the message remains the same. E-cigarettes with nicotine are not risk-free, but are considerably less harmful than smoking. Translated into actions, if you don't smoke, don't start to use e-cigarettes. If you do smoke, consider switching. That's right. So that's something, I suppose, um, a message that whenever a review comes out, I feel it's important to reiterate that message, I suppose. We get a lot of media coverage of our review. Some of it is, is really helpful. Some of it perhaps not so much. And what's great about being able to write about it in somewhere like the conversation is also just to, to put it in your own words. So when you say that some of it is not so helpful, the media coverage, what do you mean by that? So I think there obviously and understandably is a desire to simplify the messaging around electronic cigarettes. 
And sometimes that can come out as, as you said before, kind of interpreting everything on electronic cigarettes badly from the get-go. Similarly, it can go the other way around and just say, oh, there's no problems here. You know, it, it's an overreaction. Uh, and as, as you might be gathering from this interview, I sit somewhere in the middle where I want to see both sides of it and think, okay, it's probably not all bad and it's probably not all good. Um, and so that's what I mean about media coverage. I think some of it, especially if you have more space and it's a longer article, can be really well balanced. And I've had some some wonderful engagements with journalists, um, you know, over the past five years of working on this review. Uh, but other times I think it, the review can be distilled into one or two sentences that aren't exactly the sentences I'd use to distill our key messages. So information that makes it to the media that, you know, delivers the message that vaping is an effective tool to quit smoking, that is a positive story about vaping. It, that seems to be few and far between. Would you not agree? Um, I wonder if it's slightly different country by country, actually. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, here in the UK, uh, we've had some some good, fair media coverage of the review. And uh, it came out actually around the same time as a report showing that fewer people had tried to use e-cigarettes to quit smoking in the UK this past year. And, and that was very much covered as a concern by those media outlets. Uh, and it so it drew on that kind of population level data as well as the data from our review and, and linked possibly uh, the diminished number of people using e-cigarettes or the flattening of the trend um, to a, concerns about a volley that that made it over to the UK last year, and especially in the media. Um, so yeah, I think sometimes it's distorted, but I think that very much, the UK seems to be a little bit of an outlier in the way we talk about electronic cigarettes and the way we understand their public health implications. This is out of the US and this is smokefree.gov, which is basically the US government's main website for, for quitting smoking. And this is their page, what we know about electronic cigarettes. And I just want to take us through this a little bit here because e-cigarettes usually contain nicotine, fair enough, and may have other harmful substances, sure. And there's a lot of conflicting information about them. We still have a lot to learn, but here's what we currently know. Now, I can assure our viewers without reading every single word here that there is no clarity except for a consistent message that e-cigarettes are harmful. And you know, what really strikes me here in terms of our conversation is we go down to, can e-cigarettes help people quit smoking? E-cigarettes are not approved by the FDA as a quit smoking aid. So far, the research shows there is limited evidence that e-cigarettes are effective for helping smokers quit. There are other proven safe and effective methods for quitting smoking. One way is to start to talk with your doctor, nurse, or a trained quit uh, line counselor to figure out the best strategies. And of course, many people use nicotine replacement therapy in the form of patch or gum, which doctors and other experts agree is one of the most successful tools smokers can use to quit. And I can honestly tell you as a smoker, my experience isn't that, you know, thousands of smokers that have quit through vaping, that's not their experience. And then your Cochrane review here again in 2020 after 2016 seems to say, no, 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 you know, vaping is effective and more effective. So who's right, Cochrane Review or the U.S. government? So I'm going to go ahead and say that my guess is that the U.S. government uh, hasn't updated that page in the last couple of weeks. They might have more pressing concerns on their mind. Um, and to be fair, I don't think that's an inaccurate reflection of our 2016 review, right, which did find li limited evidence that that was the reality of the data we had in 2016. 
Um, and I think that's changed now. And of course, what I hope is that various various policy documents will be updated to take that into account. So I think what's been flagged up is, oh, this is different messaging from this website or that website. Um, and I would kind of expect that to be the case because our review does now have a different message and, and the evidence has changed. But what I would hope is that that uh, is responded to. But I think another thing that, that brings us on to, and I just wanted to pick up on, is nicotine replacement therapy. And the fact that, of course, when we compare electronic cigarettes to nicotine replacement therapy in terms of trials, we're looking at a case with nicotine replacement therapy where we literally have hundreds you know, of randomized controlled trials. When it comes to e-cigarettes, we have not nearly that many. And so, yes, we have way more evidence when it comes to nicotine replacement therapy. Yes, it is a mainstay of smoking cessation offerings. But unfortunately, the reality is that stopping smoking is extremely hard. And most people who try to quit in any one given attempt will not be successful. And I think what's really clear from all of the studies, including all the trials of nicotine replacement therapy, is that we need better mechanisms to help support people quit smoking. That's very, very important. None of the drugs we have are perfect. None of them have anywhere near an 100% success rate. I don't think we'll ever get to an 100% success rate, but it would be nice to get to a point that was a little bit higher than where we are now. And I think for those of us who, who have worked in the smoking cessation field, and you know, I, I lead our systematic review of nicotine replacement therapy, I'm very kind of tuned in to the existing offerings in this area. For us, electronic cigarettes, though of course they represent potential threats to public health, also came in at a time when it was really clear that we did need newer and better ways to help support people quitting smoking, particularly if they tried existing ways and it hadn't worked for them. Most people who smoke want to quit, but it's just notoriously difficult to do so. And electronic cigarettes, if regulated in the right way, if controlled in the right way, represent in some ways an exciting new opportunity to help support people in quitting smoking. So I wonder, and this, it's a, this might be a difficult question for you to answer, but does can it be expected that when Cochrane comes out with a review of this kind of nature, uh, is it expected that regulators respond, that messaging changes on government websites and so forth? I mean, is that the kind of impact Cochrane has? That is a difficult question to answer. What I would say is that regulators take lots of different things into account, but it is certainly not uncommon for them to be interested in Cochrane reviews. And typically we see our reviews cited in a lot of guidelines. So when new guidelines come out, um, it's not uncommon for our reviews to be in there. So we do know that most of the time our reviews are being taken into account, but we also know that these processes are multi-staged, involve lots of actors. Um, and also of course, look at things other than just our reviews and consider the perspectives of a range of stakeholders. And, and what I really view my job as is saying, okay, we followed our gold standard Cochrane methods. We evaluated e-cigarettes in this case, just like we'd evaluate any other smoking cessation intervention. And this is what we found. And there it is for the decision makers to do as they want with it. But I hope what we've given is a clear, unbiased and transparent picture of where the evidence stands to date. And, and you know, for me, I am I believe truly agnostic when it comes to electronic cigarettes. If the evidence had said that they didn't help people quit smoking, I would be very happy and comfortable talking about that finding as well. So my job is really just to reflect the evidence and put it out there in a way that's understandable. So, and then let me ask the question again, but just broaden it a bit outside yeah. of the tobacco uh, group. Is there a measure that Cochrane has in terms of its impact? I mean, is there, or just an understanding 
uh, about how how much of an impact the reviews have, not just in the tobacco end? That's a great question. I am much more familiar with the stats as per our tobacco group, if that makes sense. Um, but Cochrane does have kind of a recognized reputation for very high quality work. Um, and in, in fact, you know, we have this this huge book, which is now all online, which has unbelievably detailed methods on how to conduct systematic reviews in the most rigorous, unbiased way possible. And that's really considered the gold standard for evidence synthesis. And if you are teaching evidence-based medicine, which means basically decision-making that, that takes into account the evidence available, systematic reviews are at the top of the pyramid. So they're considered the best available form of evidence. And for the most part, Cochrane reviews are considered the best available form of systematic reviews. So we do hope that our reviews are looked at and that they're helpful and we are constantly evolving what we do as well to try and make them more useful to decision makers. So let's take Canada for, for as an example. We've got the uh, Tobacco Vaping Products Act and with inside that act when vaping was made legal in Canada, we were assuming that quickly down the road there was going to be health risk statements. So things that companies can say with regards to vaping and its efficacy when it comes to smoking cessation without making full health claims, but something that was approved by the government and those totally got stalled from the epidemic and e-valley. Could the Cochrane Review be used to help convince the Canadian government to put those health risks on the table and, and can be communicated to the public? Because right now all they're getting is that e-cigarettes are bad for you and they're going to kill you. What I'd say is difficult for me to say how this evidence is going to be used. We would hope that what it does is it increases certainty because that's what we found. We really found that when we reviewed the evidence, it did increase our certainty in the use of electronic cigarettes for smoking cessation. And, you know, one of the things that I don't know what the data is in Canada, but is certainly distressing in the UK is actually since e-cigarettes first arrived in terms of the percentage of population who thinks they're as unsafe or even more unsafe than regular cigarettes, that number has gone up. Just as research evidence is showing the opposite, so the more studies we get, the more that kind of reaffirms expert consensus that e-cigarettes, though not risk-free, are considerably less harmful than smoking. Public perception is going in the opposite direction, and in my mind, that's a real failure, and I, and I think I'm probably part of that failure. You know, all of us who work in public health and work in this area need to be trying to put across clear messaging, especially for people who smoke. I am um, a couple years ago overheard someone saying who was a, who who smoked themselves. Oh, I was, you know, the scientists can't agree about electronic cigarettes. I keep on hearing different things about them on the news every day, so I'm not even going to try it. What's the point? And that, as someone who works in this area, is just incredibly distressing and suggests to me that we're doing something wrong in terms of communicating we have. One more question with regard to um, one of the statements that you had made in your conversation article, and it struck me as interesting, was that young people who use e-cigarettes are more likely to go on to smoke. And that raised the hair on the back of my neck, of course. Uh, but And I, I find that interesting that that's in there. Could you explain that? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think that the research we have shows that to be the case. Uh, is that surprising? I'm not sure it is. I think there's a few different hypotheses for explaining this. And I think 
part of the problem and maybe the reason why the hair went up on the back of your neck is that the most common hypothesis that's used to explain this is, oh, it's because vaping causes smoking. So vaping is a gateway into smoking. People become addicted to nicotine and then they turn to cigarettes, etc. There are all sorts of different explanations um, to this. And this, this kind of goes back to the root of the difficulties with interpreting observational data. One of the other ways to interpret this is something called the common liability hypothesis, which in plain language is basically kids who try things, try things, right? So do we think that kids who try vaping are also probably more likely to try smoking? Probably. Do we know why that is? I don't think we do know for sure. I think we need better research, we need better study designs. Um, it's something that I'm hoping we'll be able to review in the future, to be honest. Uh, and we can't randomize young people to vape or not to vape. So therefore trying to establish causality is a lot more right. difficult than when it comes to randomizing people who smoke to e-cigarettes or to nicotine replacement therapy. For those young people who smoked, they more likely had already started by using e-cigarettes. It's not necessarily one step to the other, but it's like you have the other and you go, they were in the past. So it's like saying, it's like saying, is marijuana a gateway drug to heroin? I don't know, but most people who've used heroin have tried marijuana. Yes, that is, I think that that's where the gateway drug conversation comes in and we see it a lot. And I think teasing out causality from that is notoriously difficult. Let me ask you a tough question. Do you think more people are dying because uh, of some of the misinformation that's out there, the media coverage, maybe some of the reviews that are out there that you know keep hammering on vaping? Based on what you know, I mean, are, are people being harmed in a great way here? That is not a question I can answer because it's not something that you know we've set out to look into. But what I would say is that there does seem to be evidence that negative perceptions around vaping are discouraging people trying electronic cigarettes to quit smoking. And we absolutely know that continuing to smoke is incredibly harmful to health. So I can't give you a number. I can't kind of statistically connect those dots. But I think it's something that those of us who work in tobacco control are really concerned about and really concerned that the message does get across clearly to people who want to quit smoking but haven't been able to do so yet and that they're not put off from trying electronic cigarettes because of concerns about safety. You know, we'd hope non-smokers would absolutely be put off from trying electronic cigarettes because of concerns about safety, but we really wouldn't hope that was happening with people who smoke. And that's really about the relative risk. It's about the comparative risk. Yes, electronic cigarettes aren't risk-free, but smoking is incredibly harmful. So let me ask you this last question, because it seems to us that it, from day one covering this is that there's a continental divide within public health really over this issue. And until public health sorts out its position and finds some kind of unity on it, it's just you, we're going to always have this issue. Linda Bald actually mentioned this to us some years back that this continental divide is really the problem. So I would imagine that should Cochrane not not be looking for, but one of the effects of, of your meta-analysis would be communicating with inside public health some of these very important things? Like, shouldn't the impact be more within public health? That would be one of my hopes. Um, and certainly, I, I've kind of been fortunate enough to be invited to speak to various uh, different public health bodies in different countries about the findings of our previous reviews and hope to do the same now, though it would probably be over Zoom or Teams rather than in person currently. Uh, so yes, I think I think the continental divide is is really powerful and really noticeable. And 
as you might be able to tell from my accent, which is now a little bit of a hybrid. Uh, I've lived in the UK for quite a while now, but was raised in the US. Um, and I'm always quite surprised when I go back to the States to visit my family, how different the attitude and public perceptions are around electronic cigarettes. It's, it's quite profound. And I think that is very much down to differences in the way that messaging has been put out around electronic cigarettes in different areas of the world. Well, thanks so much for coming on RegWatch today to talk about the review. Thanks for having me. And just stay right there. Well, that's it for yeah. this edition of RegWatch. Before you head off, please go over to support.regulatorwatch.com. That's support.regulatorwatch.com and consider making a financial contribution to our vaping coverage. It's easy, just dig in your wallet, find a few dollars and toss more away. You'll be happy you did and so will we. And while online, don't forget to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. For regulatorwatch.com, I'm Brent Stafford.